Everybody, welcome back to the podcast, All the Things with Luke Tim. I am Luke Tim. Thanks for tuning in. I sure do appreciate you guys. And uh, as always, please like this on iTunes or Stitcher. Um, share it with your friends. Share it on Facebook. Get it out there because the more people listen, the more I feel like this is something I can continue. And I actually really enjoy it. And I hope it is um, enjoyable and maybe even useful to you to kind of get this different perspective on the world. And um, we did that today. Today, Duncan and I talked about um, just all the things, as usual. So we start in a weird place and just kind of meander our way towards what I wanted to talk about, which was the video that came out on Saturday by Childish Gambino, This Is America. Um, And, of course, I know it's a little bit dangerous, but two white guys talk about race relations and the African-American community. So what could go wrong, right? So um, hope you enjoy it. Um, My my usual, I need to do this every time, my my precursor is there is some tough language in here. Uh, It's just kind of my personality. It's the way I talk. So if you don't appreciate that, um, don't listen. But don't listen around your kids in the car for sure because they don't want to hear me talk like that. So, without further ado, here is my good friend, Duncan. And we're live. Not really live. I mean, we're recording, but... It's Friday morning. It's 7 a.m. 7 a.m. And here here we are. Yeah, here we are. Your, your plan A backed out. Duncan is back. Well, yeah, he's a plan A, but I've been trying to get a hold of him for a while. Interesting guy. Um, brother of a member of ours who does prison ministry. And I just find that incredibly interesting because just imagine the bonkers stuff he sees. I just, I just want to sit him down and, and get stories from him and be like, tell me about somebody stabbing someone. <laughs> That's all I want to know. <laughs> do you have a shiv? <laughs> yeah. Right yeah. now. Do you have a, does he get to carry a shiv? He should be able to carry a shiv. Do you shank people? Shiving and shanking. This isn't the sex podcast, right? <laughs> <laughs> I keep forgetting about that. No, it's still early. <laughs> so, did you have a good week? How's your week been, Duncan? How can I make this interesting? I, uh, I, I'm preparing a sermon. That's lame. That's not interesting. Uh, our associate pastor's coming to visit this weekend to look for a house. That's kind of fun. Where's he going to live? In Ankeny? Well, so, so we have um, – is LCEF – do we want to get into LCEF? No, that's that's not. I don't care. I love LCEF. They're great. They're fantastic. And uh, it's one of the weird like outliers in the LCMS. Where I'm like, wait, something good? <laughs> How, what happened? What are you doing wrong that things are so right? <laughs> well, it's fantastic because they're, they they lend money without involving the government, which is I don't know. And good. Well, Carol White was over with with her I regional her. with her regional man. Do you? I do. She's awesome. With her regional manager guy, and they were in our living room, and I and I, they, LCF lends money to churches and and roster church workers at, at a discount because how it works is they get people to invest with them for let's say two percent return, in exchange for that they'll loan money out at three percent. Right. right. And LCF their expenses eat up to one percent, so it's a good way to fund ministry in the church while keeping up with inflation on your return. They're not guaranteed. They're not FDIC. They don't involve the government. They have no. But they're legit. 
they're good. Yeah. So they keep their costs down. They can they can keep their borrowing costs down and so on and so forth. What I told her was with millennials, they want to give to a cause, right? People my age and older, we want to get a return on our money. But if you turned the people investing with you as a uh, uh, GoFundMe kind of thing, yeah, you are funding a church building, and at the end of it, you get your money back with a little bit of, with, with a thank you note, right? Yeah. If you marketed it that way, not as you're not you're not an investment. You are a pay, you are a paid forward, you know, right? Uh, benevolence kind of thing. I think you get more people investing, and so maybe they're going to do that, which would be interesting. That would be cool. Change I, their marketing strategy. I think it's a good idea, I, but I I have this gut feeling that millennials are going to change. I mean, that's the one thing about like we, we like to stick people in these categories of well you're gen x so this is how you're always going to be well when you were gen x at 15 you're gonna be different than when you're gen x when you're 50 i mean there's those are two different things so i mean i'm willing to bet millennials are going to someday figure out you know i should retire and have money when i retire something i should do i'm just convinced they're, they're going to change so for me the definition of a millennial is someone who's never not known the internet yeah. Right? Like the first whatever many years of my life, there was no internet. Oh, I remember it like And then at some yesterday. point there was this thing. Like 96 is when I went, huh, Magic. computers connecting to computers enter the Magically. <laughs> it was awesome. Oh, what a magical time. Because for us, going online to me is still like this. You get, ooh, like it's still this magical thing. Well, you are a simple man, aren't you? <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, it, it, it's a miracle, right? And so, but to, but, but like, that's probably the way a TV is to my parents. Yeah. Yeah. But your parents are stupid old. Well, your dad is stupid old. He's really old. How old is your dad? 97. So let's do this math. He's 97. 57. He was 57 years old when, yes. when he fathered you. Yes. Damn. <laughs> Dude, I just. How'd you like to, 17 years from now, Joni looks over at you with that look in her eye. <laughs> Yeah, right? I mean, I'd be down with... You'd need Hagar, but... <laughs> I, would, I would need a Hagar, for sure. But yeah, her... her that just uh, sounds like a terrible idea. It does. It does. Is, is like, longevity a thing in your family? Like, did so, he have a hint that, oh, I'm probably going to make 97, so that's cool. So, right. So, and dad, he's the youngest of eight, and uh, grew up... His dad died when he was young, because he was the last of eight, and uh, so raised by a single mom in the Great Depression on Long Island. That's 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 hard, right? So that that's his background, and for all of his siblings, the ones that smoked died in their fifties. The ones that didn't died in their uh, late eighties, early nineties. He's right. outlived them all, right? Going strong, dude. I think if I, my grandparents were alive, they'd be the same age as your dad. Well, my grandfather fought in the Spanish American War. Holy shit! <laughs> <laughs> For those of you listening, there was in fact a war. Oh my gosh! You're so I. I this is always so interesting to me. I can't wait to tell that when, when I'm like when I'm eighty, right? So then, like forty years from now, I'll be like my grandfather, because then it would be really a long time ago. And, and this is now what, it's just a hundred and twenty years ago. It's a, it's a great way to kind of like get your head around how time has moved because we think of you know a hundred years ago as as forever ago and how much things have changed. But there's people who that was, you know, less than one lifetime ago because, I mean, your dad was there essentially rounding 100 years ago. 
your dad was around. So in in his mind, man, 97 years, he's seen like airplanes <laughs> become a regular thing, cars go for, go for, like he probably rode around in a horse and buggy and shit. In the 20s? No, maybe. Well, cars became popular. I mean, there were cars. From what he remembers is right cars. Okay, but uh, no, it's it's uh, it's. So I got him. Uh, we were what, when he turned ninety or something. I got him the HBO series The Pacific. Yeah, right. And it was kind of fun because he. I was. He's not going to watch this because he's not a. Because he can't hear very well. Yeah, you know? and so because he's ninety seven, <laughs> and. Uh, or 90 at the time, but he sat down and watched part of it and he's watching, he's really keyed in like, well, good, good, good present. And he goes, that's real close to what actually happened. (laughs) (laughs) Critiquing the Pacific to the point where he's like, they were actually on that hill and we came in through on the right side and not like, (laughs) this is fantastic. Right. Right. Cause he was there. Peleliu Guadalcanal. Yeah. And he was a Corsair guy and it, it, interesting the training those guys got back then now i mean they've got millions of dollars invested in their pilots where you can't afford to lose a pilot right world war ii was like six weeks of flight school and then <laughs> then you're good this right. is the bomb button <laughs> right this is how you fly and the, i mean he was an english major at brown he's like you know i think i'm gonna go beat the japanese so he he goes into the in the military and a few weeks later he's flying planes right shooting things killing people six weeks later that's that's insane, but yeah, like so. My my, I, I, I like to think it in terms it's of not sp- very short period of time. They did not invest a lot in these guys, right? Because they had to get them over there. But when we think about, well, you know, we live in a different America today than it was a hundred years ago. Sure, not. I mean, yes, technology and and yes, like a lot of the way things function, but a lot of the same people. Like if you go back fifty years. I mean, the, you could say, man, the world has changed a ton in 50 years. You know, computers and um, the the way the, the global landscape, all of that has changed so much in 50 years. But those people are still alive. And they have probably a lot of the same opinions and worldview and, and personalities and, and thoughts about how the world should be. And they're running the place. I mean, 50 years ago, Donald Trump was 20. He's 70. And that 50, math works out, right? Yeah. 50, so 50 <laughs> years ago, what what the big invention since then, of course, is computers and the internet. Right. And with it, the democratization of information, changing how we communicate. Well, and how much of the world has, has shifted since then? I mean, we've seen the rise and fall of nations. We've seen um, the concepts of, of but that's global economy. That's nothing new. Right. But, but so somebody – Somebody running a, or somebody in, in a position of power today who is thinking in terms of Soviet Union is going to look at Russia and Eastern Europe differently than you or I. All right. Well, and, and maybe not you and I because I, I remember Soviet. Well, Russia was the bad guys. Whenever you played good guys, bad guys growing up, yeah. the Russians. But I remember the transition from Soviet Union to Russia. Like I, I remember when that kind of came apart, and I remember the I remember scorpions, the, winds of change, yeah, all Berlin that Wall stuff. falling. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I remember all of that. Mm-hmm. But there, there are people who, but I barely remember. There are people who just really still associate. Yeah, the world has not changed as much as we'd like to believe it has in a hundred years. Rise and fall of nations is nothing new. Um, I think one of the major advancements is the reduction in abject poverty. 
Yes. And, and people don't get it. Like we live in the best time ever. This is the best time ever. And we live in the best place to be living in the best time ever. Yeah. It's fantastic. But we still have this idea that, that man, the world sucks, that, that everything is bad. And there are places – I mean I go to places in Kenya where the world sucks. Um, but that's not the whole world for sure. There's a lot – I mean it's it's the most peaceful time and I know mm-hmm. we're, we're involved in like seven countries and three wars and all kinds of but nonsense. But we say war. It's it's not really. War is when you throw everything you have at it. We're, we're engaging in I, I would strategic military operations. Well, this is the new war. This is how war is now. It's not all out because then we have to use the nukes and no one wants to do that. Right. And you, you just don't need to mechanize and, and pull the whole resources of a country together anymore because we've gotten better at blowing shit up. <laughs> like it's – we're more efficient. We, we don't need um, – like I got a buddy who's got a gun. Um, it's an M1 Garant, which is what they used in World War II. But it was made by – I think it was made by John Deere or Pharma, one of, the, one of those two. And I was like, what the hell? How <laughs> – <laughs> so tractor companies are making guns? Yeah. Everything switched over. Yeah. The men went off to fight and the women went to the factories and cranked out stuff that can kill you. Yeah. We don't need that ever to happen ever again. I mean even if we we were engaged in the most intense war ever, we wouldn't really switch everything over because we, we got stuff that blows stuff up so much better. Don't underestimate tanks. I totally underestimate tanks. Tanks are awesome. Well, no. I mean, they are awesome. I don't know anything about them. I just know they're awesome. Uh, tank warfare is so. There was a couple of years ago. Um, I, I got all bent out of shape because there was this thing in front of Congress where they were trying to get this bill passed, and they kept tagging on this thing for I think it was Tennessee that they needed more to, to build more tanks in Tennessee because that's apparently where the tanks were built. I think it was Tennessee, and the generals and army people were going, "We don't use tanks." <laughs> We don't want any tanks. Here, have some tanks. Please don't. Like, we're not doing that anymore. And they were like, yeah, but that's our main industry. So here's some tanks. They forced the the Pentagon was saying, we don't want tanks. And they're like, yeah, but we have to build them. So you have to use them. And they're like, damn it. Like, that's not that's not what we do. Tank warfare. Because tanks are great at blowing up other tanks. They're not they're not great at blowing up camels. I mean, they're great at run it. over camels. <laughs> right, but they're not. Who doesn't want to be a tank driver? Oh, I'm all for it. Here, have a tank. Yeah, no, okay, I, I'm going to run down the streets of Des Moines. I this. don't disagree, but we're not using them. But like all of this is is kind of beside the, the point of, of, of my, my concept of time and how time has shifted. And we believe we're in this like progressive future because our past is so far behind us. I mean, our past is... I mean, 50 years ago was before I was born, so nothing of that ever matters. Roaming the yeah, it comes back to the the thing: Are we getting better as a species? I mean, we have this this, and I think we talked about this before. Where evolution, the the idea of evolution has made us believe that not only you know are we going to change our appearance and and whatever, but that everything's moving in the same direction. And what's interesting is when you look at when when did evolution come around. It came around at the same time as the Industrial Revolution and post-millennialism. Right. We're building the kingdom of God on earth. Everything's getting better. Even people as a species, we're evolving. We're getting better. And, and, then, and then that was cool to believe until we had a couple of world wars. 
maybe we're not building the kingdom of God on earth. Maybe we're just, maybe, maybe we, they almost killed all the Jews, you know? And like, and it was a big wake up call that it's not getting better. And then now you have premillennialism from a theological perspective where things are getting worse, tribulation and all this kind of stuff. And it, that's an interesting commentary on how science and theology and culture kind of form and shape each other. And then, but, but this idea that those primitive people living hundreds and thousands of years ago, beating sticks together, we are so much better than they are today. I'm going, yeah, I don't think so. Right. When you look at our DNA, our DNA has gotten weaker over time. We're more susceptible to cancers and that kind of thing. Medical technology, on the other hand, and farming improvements in agriculture have have made it so that we can prolong our life in a genetically weakened condition. Yeah, so I've always wondered if there is this contradiction that the people who don't believe in God and are for evolution just ignore. So if if indeed um, there is no higher being and we're just like these critters and um, the path of evolution has ju- that, that force, whatever it is that drives evolution that gets us to this point, continues on, then the destruction of our species is not only um, an eventuality, it is also beneficial because according to that concept, everything is always getting better. Like you don't see stupid Neanderthals walking around anymore because we smashed them. So like what's the thing that's going to smash us? And It has to be something. Yeah, and why would we get in the way of that? Wouldn't it be better for – Mother Earth or whatever. Like isn't isn't the next thing always better? That's the whole point of evolution is that things advance. Fish go from being stuck in the ocean to flying like birds and we're all so happy about that. So why are we trying to not destroy ourselves? Like we should speed the process. <laughs> if, like why don't we nuke ourselves or global warming should be great. Global warming is great. Well, I mean if you like beachfront property <laughs> – but what I'm saying, like, is if if so, we believe if if well, I don't say we, I mean like the global royal we. If we believe that the climate, we don't really believe it. Well, and that's that's what I'm saying is what, yeah, where is this conflict? Because the best thing that happened, if you believe in this like timeline of evolution, is a giant comet hits the Earth um, in the in the Yucatan Peninsula. The the Earth. Climate jumps around, it freezes, it thaws, all this kind of stuff, and then you get people. So, like, if we do that again, but we do it, what's the next thing? The next thing is going to be something better than people. What I mean, people don't believe the theory of evolution, right? Because they don't know what it is. You ask, you ask the the mythical average evolutionist, what is the theory of evolution? And they'll get about two sentences in. Well, I've been been pond scum and. And, and natural selection and monkeys and missing like ah and eventually they'll be and they'll stop and they'll and 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 you say well what is the theory just from I'll be here for a while from A to Z what is the theory of evolution who do you know that can say here is the theory of evolution no one knows it they know ideas about evolution right and they buy into the concept they can't explain it they can't define it they don't know it it's, 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 like, it's like faith. It's something right. to believe in. Right. And so they believe in a concept, but but not based on evidence or proof, but based on this is something that I want to structure and arrange my life around because I don't want to be primitive. I, th- I think religion to people comes across to evolution as, as primitive. We have to evolve beyond that. Right. But also I can do whatever I want. And, right. and at the heart of it, people cling to evolution because this lets me do what I want. 
Yeah, and it's. I think it it um, sells to our sense that um, things will just happen. They just happen because that's what that's, evolution just happens. Duncan. And if it doesn't, it's not your fault, right? You know, just if you just hang out long enough, you'll grow another head. Monkeys turn into people, and that's great. I mean, and and like culturally and socially, I think we kind of hope, and I know especially for a cisgendered white guy. Um, a lot of cisgendered white guys are kind of hoping that evolution of culture just happens and we will all just evolve into people who are less rapey, um, more more lovey and, and less racist. And because, you know, just like fish eventually just turn into birds, we eventually turn into good people. That's because there's good in all of us, Duncan. That's the direction it's going. And it's those people have never met somebody who is just a shitbag. Like, like, <laughs> no, no, this guy is not going to evolve. This is going to take work and, and input. Like it takes intelligent input to to improve and advance. You don't get to just lay around and, and be a turd bag and then someday you, you're going to be a better person. Like it takes effort and input. The other thing about evolution is that it, it gives us the – Mm, mask of, or thinking that we're in control. We understand how all this works. Yeah, we understand how the world works. We understand how life and all of its forms works. We feel like we're in control. We we get it right, and it removes the mystery. It removes the you're dumb and we'll never figure this out. Which, when you look at creation, there's a lot we're never going to figure out. Right. I mean, to be able to say that we can look back in time and know the universe is 15.7 billion years old, really. <laughs> So, I mean, the, the, the false – by the way, those of you playing at home that want to argue for a young – not just Earth but young creation, the assumption that uh, the universe is 15 points – whatever the magic number is today right. is based is, – is necessitates that the speed of light has remained constant through time, which you can't prove. And so to be able to date the Earth that way is is unscientific. It's neither observable nor repeatable. Or that time is consistent. And we actually That's know. That's what I'm saying, that it, you, you assume that time is consistent over time, yeah. which you can't prove. In fact, we know that it probably isn't. Because gravity bends time. But we don't know what gravity is. Right. Which well, is weird. gravity waves. We're getting close. We're getting close. And I'm getting excited. Like we're going to invent something that – Is going to suck us all through something. Well, produces gravity. If, imagine if you could produce gravity – Imagine if you had a gravity cannon. What would you do with that? I would smash buildings. <laughs> it would be fucking awesome. Like if you had a gravity cannon and like it was on a on a satellite that's flying over a gravity a tank. A gravity tank. A gravity tank. A gravity tank. You're driving around with a giant gravity cannon on the front of it, and then there's somebody that you don't like, and you He's shoot. He's trying him. to run away. You smush him. Like you increase his gravity to like four thousand g's, and you smush him down into a tiny little dot. And becomes a black hole. Yeah, he's just gone. Like just <laughs> – there's no mess to clean up. Just like the entire – just squishes down, condenses into this tiny little ball of mass, drops, hits the ground like sand. And you, you pick him up with a spoon. That would be great. Dude, that gravity cannon would be awesome. <laughs> it smashed cities. I mean it's not <laughs> awesome. It's, <laughs> what I'm saying is awesome in the sense of useful. That's still not good though. Bad. Gravity cannons are bad, so let's never invent Speaking those. Speaking of things that are bad and not useful, <laughs> cultural appropriation. <laughs> you brought me in here this morning to talk about stuff that I know nothing about. <laughs> right, because... Because I, Plan A backed out yesterday. All you needed to do was watch one video. It's Couldn't like do it. three minutes long. 
you said we should watch it together this morning. <sighs> we could live. It is not a bad idea. I don't. I wouldn't be able to get it on the show. However, all right. Well, here's here's what we'll do. Um, and this way, people can play along. I'll pause us here, um, and Duncan and I will watch the video together. Together, we'll hold hands, and uh, maybe I'll make some popcorn or something. It'll be it'll be nice. Um, so at this point, you too should pause if you've not seen this. But it'll it'll feel like it was no time at all because we're gonna pause. But because um, time is not consistent over time. It, exactly, it's not consistent on podcasts either. This is Luke's um, gonna show me his gravity cannon. And <laughs> right back. It will crush you. Um, it is uh, the the video that Childish Gambino released last week. This is America. So Google that. It should be the first result everywhere because it's like the most popular thing on the internet right now. Um, watch the video. It's not. Don't just listen to the song. You got to watch the video. Um, so we're gonna we're gonna pause here. Duncan's gonna watch it. You should pause too, and we'll be right back. All right, we're back. Yeah, and I know that didn't seem like any time at all because it wasn't because we have this thing called the pause button. So, um, Duncan, first thoughts, the first child, The childish Gambino, This Is America, right? Yeah. I get that right? Yes. So it was art. Definitely more than just your average hip-hop video, right? Interesting mix of happy, upbeat tune with... Very disturbing people's heads shot. <laughs> yeah. And then that's um, – I think you're striking – Because this is, this is America. Yeah. On the surface, everything's happy clappy until you get your head in a bag blown off. Yeah. Shooting the church choir chased and I, by the cops <clears throat> smoking a joint. Yeah. I think that's one of the, the – so there's so many layers to the video. I think that's one of the core layers is that that contrast of – Happy, clappy, everybody just dance and have fun while just, you know, things are going bonkers in the background. And we're, we're supposed to ignore that. But, but and again, I, this is great, two, two white guys talking about culture that is hip-hop. Ankeny, Iowa. <laughs> not, just, not just two white guys. From two of the cushiest <laughs> suburbs of one of the whitest areas of the country. Yeah. Yeah, we crack us. So the point of the of us talking about it, I think is is useful. <laughs> what? <laughs> because it's good because we don't know what we're talking about. Well, it it is. I feel like a, a big piece of this is is targeted right towards people like us to to kind of shake us out of this because all we ever watch are you know the, the the culture of hockey. We watch hockey. Well, you watch hockey, not You're, anymore. Right. Very disappointing series. <laughs> but we get we get. You know, when we think of African American culture, when we think of Black culture, um, our minds just tend to jump to the positive stuff, right? We we think of, or at least the glamorous stuff that the think the world would think is popular, like the um, music, hip hop, rap, um, people driving great cars. I mean, I, when I think of balling, when I think of like super wealth, all I can think of is Money Mayweather and a guy who sure, has more sure. cars than than he could drive in a month. Um, it's just – it's ridiculous and, and this video kind of gives you that contrast. Of, is, is that what you think of? I mean OK. So, so let's stereotype black culture, mm-hmm. right? For, that's, not what, that's not what comes to my mind. I mean – Well, I think um, – father, Fatherlessness comes to my mind. Yeah, yeah. But also the interesting contrast between a tightly knit community with no fathers. Yeah. Or absent fathers, should say that. And again – Stereotyping, yeah, right. But that's what comes to mind. 
and and the um, if if I were to toss out the word gang violence, we tend to think of the African American culture before or Hispanic culture before we think of guys like us, <laughs> polo shirt wearing, <laughs> right? This, this is even a golf shirt. This is, this is a perfect right. No, I mean it's, but I think I think to a certain to a certain extent, I don't think gangsta culture when I think black culture. I, th- yeah. I, th- I think we know that like there are gangsters who are African American, right? Of course, but I don't think they are. They, they get a lot of the attention the same way that Money Mayweather does, yeah. and, and the ball in and all that. Sure, I mean that's that gets the headlines. But when it, when, I, when I think of black culture or African American culture in in America, that's not what jumps to my mind. What jumps to my mind is again community that is absent fathers. Right. To a, a an alarming degree, right? But tight knit, in in, in in a way, right? Right, um, and and maybe you go one step further than that. A, a feeling of, and again, broad generalizing stereotypes that probably apply to no one in particular, but maybe not a sense of despair, but of the deck is stacked against us. Yeah. And whether or not – I mean institutional racism, all that, we can get into that. Whether or not that's actually the case, debatable. But I think that's the – again, the stereotypical impression is the deck is stacked against us. And in in some extent, I wouldn't wouldn't argue that. I think one of the things you can say for – and not institutional racism but but demographic racism or demographic-ism. Yeah. Oppression (laughs) is the idea of – the, the, the ease of transportation that, that studies have shown. Name one. Studies have shown, <laughs> right, that if you don't have access to transport, reliable transportation, your ability to climb any sort of socioeconomic ladder is greatly diminished. And I think a lot of the people living inner city style, transportation is is a limiting factor to their climbing the ladder. Oh, sure. and, that, and that applies to – I mean that's not, a, that's not a race thing. That's a demographic thing. Right. And but I think that African Americans more more fit into that category of disadvantage than uh, <laughs> the middle class white guys. Yeah. yeah, right. No, it's it's a. I I think that one of our issues is that we um, in in our community of of lame white guys is there's a lot of people who want to believe that we have evolved. So far, kind of getting back to our earlier conversation since civil rights, that you know we got it fixed, man. It's and then now it's now it's really on them. <laughs> now it's really it's it's up to that community to pull themselves up by their bootstraps. And I think that there there is there is some need for um, reconsideration of what that's really like because it's it's hard for us to understand. Um, the position that they're in. I mean, it's incredibly hard. But as a student of people, I can tell you that pull Ooh, yourself up by I your – like that. Yeah. I am a student of people. I have a PhD in looking at people. Um, I've got my doctorate in talking. Um, I, so I, I, have, I have six kids, which is too many. But not according to the latest edition of Lutheran Witness. <laughs> I know, right? Three, th- was it three articles on more kids? Have more, more kids. babies. So let's let's put that over here. Our things, strategy it, is so queue. clear. It's in yeah. the queue. It's in the queue. We're going to go there. <laughs> right. We will go there. Um, 
but if if I didn't raise my kids in a way that says you need to go to school, here's the keys to be successful, they wouldn't. I mean, if I if I gave my when, when my 14 year old son was seven and I gave him the option to just not go to school, he wouldn't have gone to school. But I'm not going to do that now. If it is baked into the just the the culture that school is of secondary importance to these other things, or if um, parents don't just don't have the drive or the time um, to to get their kids disciplined in in the things that we know are beneficial for them, why do we expect those kids later in life to be like you know, I've decided just randomly at 17 years old to dive back into school <laughs> and I'm going to change my life. No, but we, people don't work that way. And, and you, you can go back generation, generation, and generation. And this is this where, where we can talk about institutional racism, but it's the, one of the biggest things I think is this intergenerational poverty. And a lot of that goes back to civil rights and before era where I mean, we we know of redlining districts. We know that was a practice in a lot of places um, where where people wouldn't sell houses to people in a certain community um, because they were black, and so no, you can't do that, or wouldn't give good jobs. Well, why do we think that 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 would turn around in like one generation? Like, yeah, it was hard for your parents, and they didn't get a good education because of all of the racism stuff, and yeah, they had to live in terrible neighborhoods because of all the racism stuff. But now you today. You should be good, right? So so two questions about the institutional racism thing, right? Do we assume that government in general has put forth a good faith effort to reduce or eliminate institutional racism since or before the civil rights movement in the 60s? Because if you answer yes to that question, I think the conclusion you're led to, you're led to draw is uh, government has failed. And so, therefore, in the future, we should not look to government to solve the issues of institutional racism. Well, good faith effort is, is – I would argue there is not a good faith effort. No. And so the question is do you want to put effort into really convincing our elected officials, please end institutional racism, however defined? And if so – would you be willing to give up some of your freedom to end institutional racism? Because that's all government can do. Right. They can't give you freedom. They can just take it away. That's the tool they have. So what percentage of your income slash time are you willing to sacrifice on the altar of social and social justice? So what it comes down to me is in, – in my thinking is what is the incentive for the government – to end institutional racism, none. If I can get elected on running on running on the platform, and, and see, right? I think it's actually so, so incentivized backwards. Sure, it is. <laughs> I mean, it's it's as abs- long as ra- as long as race is an issue that I can win on in my district. Yes. I don't want to solve the problem, right. and, and and that's just not for this issue. That's for every issue. Right. The wall will never be built because politicians in red districts can run on. I'll get the wall built. Right. Politicians in blue districts can say. The wall will never be built. Yeah. Once the wall is built, there's no issue to run on that can get you elected in your district. Yeah. Same thing with the pro-life issue. And and guns, all of it. Everything. The problem won't because get solved. Because I can win in my district running on this issue. If I solve the problem, I'll solve other problems that no one cares about that we're not going to run on. Right. <laughs> yeah. No, there's no question. Or, or, or more likely I'll make it worse trying to solve it. But, but yeah. the big issues 
the minute we solve the problem, the issue goes away. I can't get reelected. Right. Exactly right. And y- you can tell that it's it continues to be um, fostered and I mean almost borderline encouraged because the the way the policies come out and, and the way the the politicians talk and change the way they talk um, in in order to just keep furthering the issue is ridiculous. I mean, you remember um, it was Bill Clinton, Bill and, and Hillary Clinton came out. There's this great video out there about them talking about um, violent young black men. And when you listen to it, you're like, that doesn't sound like Democrats. <laughs> that doesn't sound like a Clinton platform. That sounds exactly backwards. It does if you're trying to win the South. Exactly. Exactly right. Politicians' number one goal is to get elected. Number two goal is to get reelected. Mm-hmm. Whatever's number three, according to Thomas Sowell, is way far down on the on the list. Yeah, their job is to get elected and reelected. Oh, I think I think three is actually get rich. <laughs> I, I I don't. I well, would... you had this weird philosophy of money in politics and like how I don't know. Yeah, well, there's there is a ton of money having been president. So how is it that all of like the the last several presidents? Come out of the office and make and, and are suddenly worth tens of millions of dollars when their paycheck is like four hundred grand a year, which is why you want to decentralize power as much as possible to disincentivize people. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's right. So ridiculous. But but back to back to our back to the head bag video. Yeah, I love it. So um, early in the um, using the wrong mouse. Uh, early in the video, <laughs> I got too many computers going all at once. Um, what I, oh, are, we, are we going to talk about our circuit pastors meeting? No, let's not. You don't want to go there? I don't because it was terrible. At the end? At the end <laughs> five minute? Maybe. So what I, what I love is this – in the opening is the music is, is happy and it's kind of fun and it's cheerful and it kind of lulls you into this sense of, well, this is going to be one of those upbeat happy songs. Reggae kind of thing. It's going to be fun. Um, there's so mu- so many layers in here. That Why are we in a parking found. garage? We are in a parking garage, right, with no lines. Yeah. Well, I think that um, a Where, lot of old warehouse, old warehouse, and a lot of people have have talked about how it feels white, like industrial America. But and, it's all it's, white. Yeah. But like like industrial America is has kind of become hollowed out. There's there's not any industry happening in this warehouse. Meaning, there this is a place where. 30 years ago, a bunch of people would have jobs and now that's gone because we don't invest in the kinds of things that – Because of China. Because of China. But all, all the things that you know an urban community could get jobs doing. I saw this a ton in Detroit where there's a lot of unemployed people because all of the plants that used to make cars and stuff went And because away. of a lack of mobility. Yeah. yeah. So you can't go to where the jobs are. I mean I, anyway, yeah. But his, his facial expression while he's he's dancing, he, he has goes. No, he has no soul at the beginning. Yeah, he, he kind of goes from like he's just really there. on the surface. It's kind of fun, and I'm dancing, and then he gets these like crazy, yeah, like that. He's like fury and rage because it's, it's like he knows he's dancing almost as a puppet for people's entertainment in the midst of all of this other awful stuff that's actually going on. He has to pretend like it isn't there because the lyrics here are just about. Um, got to get money. Just go get that money. As if like the pressure is the way to succeed is to ignore the problems, to ignore the chaos, and get yours. And you just go get yours, man. You just dance nice and and, and look good, and people will throw cash at you. Um, when he shoots the first guy, this is this is interesting. So that that pose that he has 
if you Google Jim Crow, um, a lot of the posters and the the drawing, the caricature of that Jim Crow character, you, you cannot deny that that's a Jim Crow-like pose, um, and that would be the first execution. But now watch. As the guy's executed, then somebody runs out and he puts the gun like reverently into this red – I don't think that's uh, by accident – cloth where the, the gun is treated with great reverence, but the body of the dude is just drug away, just just slides away. So again, I'm eh, – <laughs> we don't need to turn this into a gun conversation, but – what the, I think the video is portraying is we, we treat guns with more care and reverence than we do dead people. And there's certainly some truth to that. But then, you know, fast forwarding a little bit, these background dancers. Yeah, who, who, are, who are the school kids in the, in the school uniforms there? Well, it, it, when I first saw it, first thing I thought was um, all of those old 50s movies I saw, you know, where the African-American uh, group of, of people are these these fun sort of like um, Detroit Radio City um, background singers dancing, having a great time, kind of up on show for for all the people to watch, especially. See, I was thinking school uniforms. Yeah, but I mean, just just the way they're dancing. Right, they're happy. They're, they're the private school kids. Yeah, they're so happy. They're, they're having so much fun until you shoot the church choir, and and all around them there is just this like chaos going around. And they're just having a great time. Also, um, there is a part in here where they do a dance from Africa called the Guara Guara, um, which I actually couldn't believe I picked up on it because it's, it's South African, but it's found all over because it's one of those um, stories of oppression and, and people fighting for, for equal rights and stuff in South Africa. And I don't think that's a mistake either. But all of this chaos and all of this violence that's going on, and it's like if we just keep dancing and keep looking like we're having a good time, we can ignore – I mean look in the background. There's just violence and, and carjackings and – oh, that's cool. Now we're at the – if you're following along, we're at the choir scene and um, they're singing something like um, Black Man Get Your Money and it's like – you know, again, gospel choir, black thing, entertaining to watch, and he comes in all happy and and having a nice time, and he's dancing, looking good, and then somebody tosses him a rifle, and he smokes him. Blam! I think the commentary there is is a couple of things. One is again the the message of it's, it's kind of a critique on the church, like you know, just. Just pray and worship, and this is you know everything's all right. Black church, and it'll be great, man. Just dance. We got our robes on. Everything will be all right. Why isn't he wearing a shirt? I mean, he's not. He's not ripped. It's not like, check this out. He's a dude. Yeah. Right. And so why topless? You ever watch Roots? See, there you go. That's what I. The first thing I thought of was um, that. Um, back to slave mentality, um, just just to kind of call up those those images of back in the day. Um, we're trying to ignore it by dancing and making money and singing gospel choirs, and, and you know, let's, let's all pretend like that never happened because it was forever ago, Duncan. Forever ago, we've evolved since. Yeah, then. like my grandpa would have worked with people who at one time were slaves. Maybe maybe not so long ago, right? Isn't that bonkers? Like if, if you just go like to your grandparents or great-grandparents. They knew people who were yeah. slaves. 
It's it's sure. like three. Sure. There's a guy um, uh, I listen to his podcast all the time, and, and he he calls it three people ago. Three people ago, there was slavery. So I mean, in my family, <laughs> but like, <laughs> well, in the average family, I think we're up to four or five. Right, but, but I mean, right, and and uh, but we talk about it all the but time. But do we really understand what that was like? Can we really say? Because we talk, oh yeah, back then slavery. Mm. <laughs> it was we bad. Don't, do we really? Do we know what we're talking about? No, I don't think so. But but I think that there's so much that's sort of invisibly transferred generation to generation. I mean, we focus on this as as churches. Like you pass your beliefs and your moral system to your families, and you can see it in three and four generations. That's that works both ways. That that sword cuts both directions. It does say something that within what. I mean, we, we declare independence in 76, but we really don't stop fighting the British for a few more years after that. So within 80, roughly 80 years of becoming a nation, we fight a war, among other things, to end slavery. Mm-hmm. You just don't wake up on year 80 and be like, this stuff's terrible. <laughs> right? I mean, so, Did you guys know? <laughs> guys, we're, we've, we've been wrong. So this is something I would argue that since the founding of our nation and the principles of freedom and, and all that, that slavery has run against the grain of our, of our nation from day one. And it takes 80 years. It takes two people ago yeah. right, to get to the point where we're going to shed blood over it. Right. But it's not as if we were this nation from the beginning that loved the institution of slavery. We're all for it. And a small group of noble people rise up and speak truth to power and now we don't – and Abraham Lincoln and we don't have slavery. Right. That's not to excuse the situation but it is no, to say sure. that this, 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 this notion we have of people back then that they were a bunch of slave-loving, I mean ingrates and all this and now – and then and then the 1860s happened and now we're this and then the 1960s happened and it's – we've never been a slave-loving country. No, I actually I, – I would kind of disagree with that. I, I think that what – and this video does a nice job of illustrating that. Is we've always been a conflicted country where we've had a lot of people saying, I, this isn't good. And a lot of people going, I make a ton of money doing this. So shut your pie hole. We're going to keep doing it. And that that conflict, it's risen up several times in our history where, where we've had to struggle with these incredibly challenging things. But – it doesn't just go away. You can't just pretend like, well, you know, we – I mean it's like civil rights happened in the 60s of the 1900s. <laughs> so slavery ended you know, long time before, end of Civil War, Emancipation Proclamation. So we're good now, right? No, it was like a hundred more years and then people for were the like gov- – For the government to get it right. But, but individual people and groups of people – Some. Some, right? That, that's why this is com- this is why this is complicated. It's, that's why we're conflicted. Because it's not as if in the 1960s every American citizen realized we shouldn't have black drinking fountains. <laughs> right. <laughs> Suddenly so, that became an issue. It's when the government said we're gonna we're gonna bend to the will of the people on this. Right. You can't do that. Right. Back to restricting freedom. So again, I would argue the government again is not leading in this in this thing. It's trailing. Yeah, and that that's probably right. I think. I don't have to think that's that's sort of a side topic, but at any rate, um, I think we get lulled. I mean, we're, we're in Iowa, and and like I, we've been saying over and over again, which we're makes the us experts, pasty white guys. <laughs> but I think we get lulled into this idea that well, we fixed it, 
You know, and and like I, I don't think people think that. I think we've done enough that I can ignore it. Yeah, yeah. Because and, and part of it is one. There's only 24 hours in a day. Right. And where do I want to? Where do I want to? And and so you can't fault people for saying of of, of the 24 hours in a day that I have today, I'm not going to devote any time to yeah this issue. That's fine. Um, not everybody. Th- there's not a moral imperative that all of us need to. Right. Because of the callings we have and where we're at and all this kind of thing. But I think it's important for us to realize that there is a segment of our population that feels very strongly the way this video is portraying their life. Yeah. Well, I think that that there are there are a lot of people who are in uh, a lot of white folk out there who are in great denial. Um, I mentioned in a sermon because they don't want to be bothered with it. Right. And that's it's not that it's not a I hate certain people. Right. I just don't want to deal with it. Yeah, because it, it'd be better if I could just leave it alone and it gets better on its own. Or or, or, or they're like us. I don't know how to fix it. Right. <laughs> it's really their fault. I mean, there's all I, – I don't – I rarely, rarely get into anything – I mean, almost never have I ever had anything political in a sermon. But I preached a sermon a couple of weeks ago on justice and I just wanted to point out some interesting glaring injustices in our country. One of them is that – um, for the exact same crime. D- don't be redundant. I hate that exact same. If it's the same, it's exact. <laughs> don't. There's certain phrases. There's certain phrases out there. That's the thing. An exact, exact same. Oh my gosh. <laughs> okay, it's an exact. The inexact same. <laughs> oh. Similarly exact. For the same crime. It's, exactly. <laughs> the exact same. On average, I hope it annoys everybody as much as it annoys me. <laughs> yeah, I've, I've got certain little verbal cues that that bother me too, and I and have to stop listening to sermons. The or absolute best. Oh. mine. <clears throat> I I can't deal with people who say right when you're talking right, and like you're because I was on, I was going to go right. Are you looking for confirmation for me? <laughs> right, right. You do it sometimes. You're not bad. Yeah, and that's been a new thing. That's, maybe in the last couple – since moving to Iowa. Right? <laughs> right. Mm. Mm. <laughs> Another one that drives me crazy in Iowa is we lose the to be verb. Pittsburgh too. Yeah, so the house needs – This needs fixed. Needs fixed. It needs to be fixed. Yeah, but once you start speaking that way – because I've been like, this is so wrong. <laughs> and yet when you say it, you just – you get that. Feels so good. <laughs> the house needs fixed. Immediately, I have Luke Tim style tattoos, (laughs) unfiltered Marlboros. I mean, I am like, here we go, right? Oh, and the lawn needs mowed. I, you know, you got to get out and mow it. Think about how much time you've wasted using the state of verb. Yeah, milliseconds. Maybe adding up to thirty minutes of my life over the last forty years. You're not going to get that time back. I'm never going to get those thirty minutes back. But back to. So in it, I mentioned that this video needs analyzed for the <laughs> needs analyzed. It needs understanding. <laughs> um, so the same crime, black man, white man. The black man's going to receive a sentence on average ten to twenty percent longer. Just a fact. I mean, you you can Google that bitch, and you're going to find it. It is just true. <laughs> and I had people after my sermon who. They loved me, but they didn't believe me. They were like, that's not true. And I was like, but it is. <laughs> so, I mean, you 
you can't even find a, a contrary website that says that's not true because it's just true. We have perfect data on it. So, but you don't have perfect data on it. Yeah, we do. We have prison no, records. No, you, you, we have the data. It's not subjective. It's not a race thing. It's a it's a class thing for that. You don't get the good lawyers. You probably have. You probably have. So okay. So you, you right? No, you, I'm not arguing. Armed robbery, right? You go knock over a convenience store with a gun, right? So you're going to get your 20 years, or right. whatever it is. Crappy lawyer. Right. Combined with a rap sheet of a bunch of minor stuff that you weren't smart enough to like take the class to not have it count against you. Right. Right. That's not a race thing. That's a that's a class thing. I, I'm not disagreeing, but but those it's like a Venn diagram. Those things are overlapping in, in a lot of ways. Of course. So in in the inner city where you have a, a more dense population of African Americans, I'm or, trying to, I'm trying to help make I'm trying to help you make your point. Yeah, I know in a roundabout way. Right, but it 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 boils. It's so, about opportunity. Right, but my 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 point of that story was to say, good God fearing people loving Christians in church were just like no. I can't believe that that's a thing. And I'm like, but it's a thing. It's a total thing. It's, it, but, but the reaction when translated is, I don't care. No, these, these people cared. All of a sudden, once they did their homework, they were like, dude, that's not right. What do we do? But at first they didn't care. Oh, you're bothering me with this. Now I got to yeah. go online yeah, now and I can, watch videos. Now I got to do something. And that's, that's where – one of I think the the main failings in our current culture is nobody wants to take responsibility for anything, but nobody wants to take responsibility for things that aren't my fault. So let's bring our faith into this. Okay. As a Christian, why <laughs> should I? As as a pagan, I don't know whether you should care or not. Because as a pagan, as a song singing, got to make your money. Go out and make money and buy a bunch right. of crap and do do your thing. Right. I mean that's. That's your chief end in life if you're your own God. Uh, but as, as Christians, why, why do I care about the plight of broad strokes, the disadvantaged? Well, man, I, it's so big. It's, it's hard to find a specific entry point, but I'd go to Micah. He has shown thee, O man, what is good and what the Lord desires of thee, but to do justly and to love mercy and to walk humbly with the Lord. The, our God loves justice and where there is injustice the work of the christian is to bring justice like that's our job now our job also is to bring christ which gives us the ultimate justice so there's there is that but any anybody who who believes that no 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 your your job is to just have church on sunday proclaim the gospel and we don't do the liturgy we don't want to get into social justice stuff we don't want to get you must hold your hands outward. <laughs> right, because that's what the we Salvation Army that. did, remember? And they don't even love Jesus anymore. All they do is ring bells and collect money. Well, okay, they do a lot of good for people. Yeah, but their doctrine is wrong. <laughs> their doctrine is wrong. <laughs> I know. No, I know. But you, it doesn't mean that doing good and righting wrongs means you have bad doctrine. That's no, stupid. Right. See, I would look at it a different way. I wouldn't look at it as we're, by going into whatever going into means. By addressing the issue, I would view it not as an act of justice but as an act of mercy because the people that are growing up in these situations – again, I'm going to come back to fatherlessness. 
somehow sin came into the picture and you don't have a mom and dad that are that are helping to raise you. Right. So that's a result of the fallen world's sin. So we're trying to fix what sin has made wrong with relationships. And that's why I think, I mean, okay, the pasty white guy from Ankeny, the north side of Ankeny. <laughs> north side. Represent. What what the what I, I mean I'm I'm looking at with kids right adults not that they're beyond hope but it's much easier I think when you start young they need people to love them mm-hmm. and and, and the white people swoop in on their white horse and not that kind of thing but if these kids had adults that they knew loved them that cared about them that invested in them, that prayed for them that you can't you can't take the place of dad but you can help. To repair the cracks, right? Yes. So, and, and this is one of my. So, th- I mean, in terms of what can we do? What can the pasty white guy from Ankeny do? There, well, there is a shit ton we can do, and, and we can get into that in a minute. But like, let's just focus on um, one of the the problems I have with my community. Speaking as a cisgendered white guy, um, is that we don't want to bear any of the responsibility. Mo- I shouldn't say it all. I'm not. I'm lumping a whole group of people, but a lot of pasty white guys want to say, "Well, this is on you, right? Pull yourself up by your bootstraps." But they, I don't think we like to be told <clears throat> this is our fault. Exactly. And I'll defend. This is not my fault. Correct. But as a Christian, I should have a desire for this thing to be fixed. Yes, and if and just in general, it is a good human thing to take responsibility for things that aren't your fault. No, not from a pagan, not from a secular world. Oh, I, I disagree. I disagree. Only if it, only if it gets me to where I want to go. Right. Which is if, if, if where you want to go is just rich, wealthy at the detriment of all other people, then you're a sociopath and you should be shot. But if you have this idea that, um, culture is good, that the stability of a, of a region is good, that um, peace is good, then you can, you can start to choose to sacrifice and take responsibility for That's a weak argument for why a secularist should care about people that he doesn't live around or she lives around. Well, I, that, so if we start it where, where we do live, where we do live, it is better. So, so if I've got a great job and I'm making um, bank and, and life Which is Which you are. Oh, Hello. Soon to be senior pastor of Living Faith. Pastor Christ. rolling in the dough. You know the district guidelines when you become a senior pastor. You're, you're. I know. I'm, I'm going to be that's, rich. That's why you're. That's why you're bringing the associate. <laughs> the only in. reason, to be honest, <laughs> I can do all. There's nothing. Who's applied on. for that? Has anybody shown interest? <laughs> yes, Duncan, but we're not going to get into names on air. <laughs> but. Um, if anyone would like to be uh, put on the call list? Oh yeah, absolutely. Who, who can they? Who can they get in touch with? Oh, just like go to, work to um, just go to our website, livingfaithclive.com. Um, there's a call team button on there. You can email the call team. Look at your name on, or just find me on Facebook or Instagram or any, any qualifications you're looking for. for uh, we prefer to be a woman. Uh, number one, number two, identify as, or they can identify as, it'd be great if they would identify as a different animal, like a spirit animal. If so, so if we could get a woman who identifies buzz as buzz cut or Mohawk, I'm good either way. Who's that Episcopal one or the Presbyterian with the collar and she has the, the torn off sleeves and the tattoos. The edgy oh, she's one. out in, in uh, Denver. Uh-huh. Um, you know, I read a bunch of her stuff. There's not a lot there. Vapid. Uh-huh. I mean, it's just. 
I look funny to be a pastor. That's I, all it is. I wanted so bad. I wanted to love her. I wanted I wanted no, her to She's be, not it's not there. It's It isn't. And that's a shame because it doesn't mean that it can't be. Edgy without a cause is 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 just you're angry at your parents. Yeah. Yeah. I was man, I was honestly I was disappointed. I was really looking for some depth. And one there. And Anyways. You, and you got clerical no sleeves, which by the way, I have rocked that look before. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, my pregnant wife <laughs> rocked that look before. At the seminary, <laughs> at the in seminary, a clerical, in a clerical, at the basketball game, Joni was wearing a muscle clerical. Yes, Sweet. while eight months pregnant in the basketball game between <laughs> Fort Wayne and St. Louis, it was distracting. What? Right? Yeah. So <laughs> it was freaking great. And of course, our mascot is the preachers, and so she was our mascot. <laughs> I can't believe I got through seminary. I, I cannot believe I graduated from that institute. The flagship seminary. It blows my mind. Um, anyways, back back to our conversation. It's it's good for somebody to take responsibility. In my neighborhood, if there is um, – if, if the house next to me is uh, goes vacant and the grass is gross and, and it's falling apart, my property value goes down. So do I take – did I break this house and make it look like garbage? No. If I take responsibility and go over there and fix things up and my property – is so it's good for me to do a thing that is good for the community. Or, or if, if in, in my neighborhood – if there are kids who are struggling without fathers, um, we actually we actually have um, a little bit of this going around in, in our neighborhood where we got so many kids in our neighborhood. And again, half of them are mine, I realize. But when they come over just to be a positive influence on them, I don't need to take sure. responsibility. But that's as a Christian. I mean, everything you've said is is you as a Christian. No, no. no. As Let's let's pretend I'm not. It's it, not a compelling case. It is a compelling case. The property case. value thing is dumb because I could make – why would I spend time mowing my neighbor's grass to tangentially increase my property value in the event that I would sell my house before the grass grows back when I can just go work an extra shift and make more money for myself? That's money in the hand. So it's oh, a dumb I argument. Disagree. So, or like and, and you'd be wrong. You're <laughs> you're as free to disagree with me as you are to be wrong. All right, here's here's another one. When but, we were down when we were down in New Orleans, we would go around who, who'd you go down with? A bunch of Christians, but I'm not talking about us. Oh, okay. I'm talking about the people down there that we met sure. who are not Christians. I also went to New Orleans. Ooh, I went I'm first. Free. I went three times. Your virtue I'm virtue signaling. signaling. <laughs> <laughs> well, as a guy who's I went down three times <laughs> and got sick mucking out a convenience store. But we would we – I wasn't muck. I actually went in to pee in the convenience store, church, clean. Long story. I got really sick. Yeah? Did you get hepatitis? two weeks. That wasn't from New Orleans. <laughs> from the the, the, the the St. Louis Fort Wayne basketball game. <laughs> so so the neighbors would mow their neighbor's yard and do good things for their yard because if they didn't, snakes and crocodiles lived – or alligators lived in them. That's bad for me. It's good for me to take responsibility for something For the guy next door. Right. Yeah. So if I'm a guy but, – But the people downtown, the people not in Swankany – I, I said they're not driving my property values down. Starting, the fact that starting in my neighborhood, I can say that this is better for me. I can even say, in it is good for. Uh, so if you live outside of Chicago, 
it is good to try and do good as a as a secular humanist for people who are in Chicago because if you can help reduce crime, but I can't. See, I would I, in that regard, I would say it's not worth the time from from a from a secular perspective. It might have some ripple effect down the road, but it's but I'm I am investing my real time and real money today for an outcome that is. Mm-hmm. Uncertain. No, I see. I disagree. If if you can reduce crime and reduce drug problems downtown, if, 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 yeah, I know, if, I know. If, if if if. But this is why I'm saying it's in their best interest to figure it out. If we if we can solve a drug problem in downtown Chicago, there will be less drugs flowing into my rich suburban neighborhood. Less chance for my kid. And again, this isn't monetary. True. Less chance for my but kid. But you can't show me where that. For every hour of my time that I invest, the drugs in my kid's school drops by X percent. Nope, you cannot. You're right. But so I think that's where from a – because there you're, you're ends-based, whereas for Christians, it's more means-based. Oh, yeah. I mean it's very different for Christians. But I'm, I'm trying, saying – Trying to make this is a Christian thing. Well, you can if you want to. I don't care. The point is it is good. It is good for Christians and non-Christians. We know it's good for them, but you, I, don't, I think justice. it's very hard to make the case for a secularist on their terms to engage in this kind of work. I don't think it's hard to make the case. Other if, than it makes me feel good. If making you feel good is the purpose, yeah. then go for it. Which, which millennials are all about. Feeling millennials good. are all about doing good, loving, loving themselves. Um, but the point being is I think you can make the case. That's not the problem. The problem is the motivation to do it. <laughs> <laughs> and it, because the, I'm lazy. Yes, it's it's yeah. I really should go and do something good, but but I'll just send a few bucks. You know, you know, the game's on, <laughs> and I've got I gotta go try on some new skinny jeans or whatever young kids are doing today. And it, it, we we can't get people off the ball to do it. But I think and and I think there's some justification to people's laziness, and that comes back to why should I sacrifice willingly? That's not my fault. I didn't do that. It's priorities, right? So our, our church has been doing, with the gate, some stuff down in Moulton Elementary in downtown Des Moines. Very, I mean, it's it's the United Nations, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, it's it's a school that has limited resources and a heck of a lot of need. I mean, their big need is, over the summer, how do we keep meals flowing through our school to the kids? Because during the school year, the kids can get three meals a day through the school. Right. Over the summer, we're closed. Right. Kids don't have anywhere to eat because mom is passed out on the couch with a needle sticking out of her arm. Mm-hmm. And so how do so our church has done some stuff there. And to be honest, I did I went down there initially to see yes, there's a need and this is what we should be doing. And I haven't been back. Mm-hmm. Why? I hate inter- no. <laughs> because Duncan hates black people. I, I hate everybody. No, it's <laughs> it's I can either do this or it takes away from part of pastoral ministry. I don't visit the shut-ins. Or it takes time away from the family. The kids are without their dad for another evening. Right. And so that's the that's the priorities game that I think people are playing. Well, but – And you can't fault them for making – because I'd be faulting myself and I don't want to be – Because <laughs> I don't want to be responsible. I don't want to be wrong. No, I mean I think it's a reasonable thing to say this is a need and right now on my list of priorities, it's at number six. If I get down to number six, I'm all in. Okay, so I, I would but I think what we can do is say, look, put it on people's radar, this is what's going on. Right. Some of you 
this is your thing. God's put it on your heart. You're in. Some of you are going to cut a check. Some of you are going to pray, and some of you are going to go watch the game. Yeah. But I think I think you have taken that responsibility because as in because the the type of work and the amount of investment um, or the type of investment type of work and type of investment changes um, depending on your situation. So as a leader in your congregation, showing your interest and confirming the investment um, being worthwhile got 20, 30, however many people went down there to help that. So you did a good thing. You did act for justice. Yeah, but no, but what we should do, by the way, what we should have done, um, what we should do for it, for getting involved in a place like that. Weeks come swooping in from the suburbs, right? Yeah. I guarantee you those kids resent us. We are coming down here to check. You you are our feel good box. You know, little person that doesn't look like me. And I'm going to check my box. I'm going to drive home in, in, in fortress suburbia and good luck. What we should be doing is investing in the teacher and say, dear teacher, you have earned the right to be heard. You're in the trenches. You are the difference maker here. Right. What do you what resources can we give you for you to because you're at Moulton for a reason, right? Right. Uh, first job or you care about these kids. It was really interesting to see how many teachers had been there for over 15 years. Like mm-hmm. they could have left by now. And they're sacrificing. I'd rather prop them up and say, we don't need to receive any recognition or anything, but we want to help you succeed in what you know needs to be done. Have you ever read um, Toxic Charity or When Helping Hurts? Uh, Familiar with the concept, yeah. 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 Those are – anybody listening? Also short-term mission trips. Yes. Same basic principle. Yes. The the whole gap year, um, go do something good for a year after I graduate from college, you're probably doing more harm than you are actual good. do, do just a little bit of reading. And it doesn't mean you can't take a gap year and do good, but do the right kind of good so that it doesn't actually end up costing people more to do the good. I mean, charity can be, um, well, toxic charity. Tar- charity can be toxic because you can develop um, codependent relationships where, you know, this, this happens all the time. We do a lot of mission work in Africa and we are very careful. We train, we, we go through a lot of training with our people to not do this. What you don't want to do is develop a, you wait here and be poor. We'll be back next year to make you a little bit less poor for next year. And then we'll do that again. Um, all that does is, is encourage people to be like, all right, I just wait here until they come back. And it's, it's an unhealthy relationship. But to, to the point of um, we had in, in Bible study, um, something along these lines came up this week. And this guy, we have, we have an older gentleman in our group who is hilarious. Um, he goes, you know, when, I, when he was, he's always owned um, restaurants. He had an employee one day who was pissed off at him, said, you know, I hate you. And he goes, why do you hate me? And she's African-American. And she says, because of what your people did to my people. And you know what he said? My people came over in the 40s. <laughs> because my ancestors weren't even in America during slavery. Like this he goes I I don't know <laughs> what my my people were European. We were, we were trying to potatoes. Yeah. Yeah. It, so his question was so it, it clearly isn't my fault. It isn't even my ancestors. I don't even owe a debt to my parents, grandparents, great-grandparents because of what happened. So why should I have to be involved in in fixing this injustice? So 
So for all the African-American people listening to our podcast. Both of them. <laughs> right. No, I mean I, – so when cisgendered white guys hear people from that group blaming us for their problem, it makes us more or less likely to want to be involved and help. Uh, when you tell me it's my fault, I'm not interested in helping because I know it's not. Right. If you come to me and say, can you help us fix this problem in our community – Tell me what I can do to help. Yeah, but but I'm always I, I always draw things back to here's what I can influence. I I can't influence somebody else being a dick. Some if, if somebody's a dick, they're a dick. What I can what I can actually manage is my response to that. So and 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 I've had these sort of conversations with people before where you know the the and actually in the song. At the end, he- yeah. By the way, we've frozen the picture because we got to the point in the video. For the last half hour, there's been like a dead choir. Yeah, just staring at us right there. Yeah. Right, shot up. <laughs> just but fantastic. At the at the end, he says um, something along the lines of "You motherfuckers owe me." Um, saying this to America. Well, the the question is, who owes? Is does America vague thing owe, or does do do white but people that delegitimize oh. that? See, to me, when, when I hear that at the end, the therefore, 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 whereas, and then therefore, you owe me. I'm going. Yeah, no. This has been a sales pitch. I'm not interested. Agreed. That's going to turn a lot of people off from saying this is a legitimate need. This is an issue. We should address it. When 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 the end of your pitch is gimme gimme, like yeah, no. See, I'm not on board. I'm on board with a lot of this video. I I love it. Um, because I think it's it's artistry, it's masterful. I think it does a great job of of giving that contrast between pretend everything is okay while chaos is going around, just so I can get my money. Don't fix problems, just be about your. I mean, it, it does such a great job. Right. That piece is where I go. Okay, I can't solve. I, I can't address somebody else's attitude, but what I can do is choose how to respond to that. And I I know it's not my fault. I know slavery wasn't my fault. I know I didn't – I wasn't born during the time of the civil rights. So you, I can't accept the blame and the fault for these things happening to the community, but I can willingly take some responsibility to right an injustice. Not my fault. But I am less I likely to want to work with somebody who thinks it is my fault. Yeah. Because at some point, probably on day one, that's going to be an issue that's going to impede – Progress. Well, that's but it's still on you. You need to have the discipline to say, okay, I know this guy thinks it's my fault, but no, because I need to be strategic with where I spend my time, and I, I, I do not want to spend my time and invest resources in somebody who thinks something is my fault when it's not, because I don't think that I'm going to have, I'm not, I'm not going to be as likely to get a good outcome than I'm working with someone who says, look, fault doesn't matter. What matters is this thing over here is broken. And we're trying to get as many people together to help fix it as we right. can. But the problem Will with you that, help us with this? That mindset is part of the problem because then you only end up helping people you like. <laughs> people no, who I aren't only dicks. end up working with people who want to work with me. Uh, no, I'm not because again, scarcity of resources. To me, that's going to have a better chance of a good outcome than someone who is kill whitey. Right, but if but you're dealing with a whole community where that's been again. Uh, a lot of that um, misinformation and the mistrust from that community has just been baked into it 
for legitimate reasons. Then you have to be careful. Like you said with, you know, getting involved in overseas missions, you have to be very strategic where you put your time and resources and what kind of work you're doing. Same thing here. Right. But if, if the whole if, – if the, if the general – speaking in the generalities, if the African-American community – and here, here's a great story. Um, I was uh, – <laughs> I was a pastor back in Michigan. We had a um, – the principal and I were really good friends. We were born like two months apart. So we're the same age, um, got really tight. Uh, African-American, actually his dad was involved in the civil rights movement – from Detroit area, we're driving up in northern Michigan to go to a retreat with a bunch of um, teachers and other staff at the church, and we're kind of lost, and we're kind of looking around, and there's this big, like, welcome to whatever town we were going to, and it had a map on it, and I was like, oh, yeah, it's kind of off to the side of the road, and I was like, I'm going to pull over here and see if I can see where we're at and where we're supposed to be going, so I kind of pull off to the side of the road a little bit, I'm kind of on the edge of the road, and all of a sudden, a bunch of squad cars just come flying in with lights on. Now, they thought we were somebody else. They thought because there's a robbery or something. So they were just concerned that maybe – and so my the first words out of my mouth were, oh, good, police officers. And I turned my head to look at him. He's in the passenger seat and his hands are on the dashboard and he looks at me and goes – only a white guy says, oh, good, <laughs> the police are here. <laughs> I looked at him and went, oh, shit, we grew up different. <laughs> like this is – there was no more glaring example in my life of, yeah, this is this is a thing. This is different. And he – no, he was right. So these – northern Michigan, these cops walk up, um, guns drawn, and they're looking into the vehicle. Again, thought we were – somebody who had, had stolen something or whatever whatever happened and cop looks at me and says kind of mouths it and sort of just whispers okay. you okay and i was like yeah this is my friend <laughs> mike he's a little scared right now <laughs> yeah. could you put that gun away please <laughs> like everything's okay um so it, when when you grow up that way of course you're you're going to be jaded towards a community and I don't hold them accountable for that. I, I think that it's their responsibility to to change that, but it's my responsibility to accept the fact that I, in that regard, the chips are against me. I'm going to go into a place where I'm less trusted because of the color of my skin, where I'm I'm not and, – and I just – listen, that's that's not the worst case of discrimination in our country that – Black people may not trust me as much because I'm white. I think there's more discrimination. That's, diff- that's, that's different than saying this is your fault. Yeah, but if that's all you've been taught, if that's is all it? you've heard, is it? Yeah, is it? Where's it I'm, come I'm, from? I'm, I'm sure in some in some segments it is. Yeah, but but not. But that's what you got to be strategic. Yeah, I mean, I I watch a lot of a, a lot of stand up comedy, and Chris Rock's um, latest special is great. And all he does is it, it, he's got this whole long segment about it's hard now to try and teach his kids how to not trust white people <laughs> because he lives in a gated community. His kids go to a great school and all that. And he's like, no, you got it. So he goes, he, he associates everything in his house that's white with something negative. Like he whacks his kids whenever there's like if they're eating rice. He hits them because that's, that's white. <laughs> <laughs> Which I find hilarious, but so I, let, let's let's deconstruct this then. Mm-hmm. What is it we're going in to fix? See, is it is it 
money? Is it y'all don't have enough money? Is it y'all don't have enough opportunity? Is it y'all don't think the way I do on certain social and political things? What exactly needs to be fixed in that segment of our population? This is where I think um, first steps we, – we always want to like fast forward and jump to the bigger things like, well, let's fix their community or let's fix the prison system, which by the way, we could talk for another hour on how awful private prisons and the prison system in general is. Um, but I think that we jump too far ahead and say first things first, we need to learn to develop relationships. So it doesn't – we don't build this sort of codependent – We'll swing down once a month with food and money, and uh, we'll see you next month. And right, because all that does is breed contempt. So what you can do is find ways to develop relationships with communities that are different from yours, and start to build those bridges. And then, um, if you read those books, Toxic Charity and, and uh, When Helping Hurts, what you end up doing is, is trying to find ways to uh, equip them, uh, equip this whole community to find ways to solve problems and where they don't have resources or where they don't have um, what they need to do that, you can fill in some of those gaps. But you, you can't – it's a terrible and awful and toxic mindset to think I'm going to go in and fix this place for them. Because they couldn't figure it out on their own. They need me to come in. That's all that it communicates is you right. morons. Right? <laughs> and we don't really understand the problems because we don't – experience and live those problems so pittsburgh right i lived in pittsburgh for six six and a half years and driving down to mom and dad's we had to drive through pretty much all of west virginia (laughs) i'm so sorry (laughs) right so so west virginia is the white version of the inner city (laughs) Mm -hmm. but to the in 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 the way that so you drive through there and you're like why do people live here like Pittsburgh, right, is we're like two hours north of you guys. Why don't you all just move to town? Mm-hmm. There's more opportunity. There's better sports. The roads are – well, the roads aren't straight there. But like it's just a better quality of life. Guarantee you everybody in West Virginia knows about Pittsburgh. <laughs> and they're, But they're still in West Virginia. And so I think the best we can do is – Create scenarios where people have opportunities to do something different if they want, knowing that, nope, this is fine. This is home. Yeah. And home may not be perfect, but this is what I grew up with. This is what I know, and I'm going to stay here. We can't force people to, dang it, you're going to have a better quality of life. What we can do is say, you know, provide systems where there's opportunities for you to choose the path that you're going to go on. And, and versus you have to equip them. you're stuck here. Yeah. Right. You've got to equip them. I think we, we downplay the, the concept of, um, I think, I think we just downplay the barriers that exist psychologically and as far as education and stuff. Cause we, we just want to say like, I mean, I've, I've been talking to somebody about, um, starting a business and, um, I don't have a, any experience in starting businesses. I've, I've never started one and they're in this, in the same boat. And, and to them it was like, yeah, that is something I cannot do. And they go, why? Why? Like, well, I just, I, I mean, there's, it's so complicated. And I was like, we have Google. <laughs> like, <laughs> but just the, the, 
as, as a small microcosm of the example of I grew up with, with it constantly being reinforced in my head that my, my parents, my, my extended family, my community were all telling me, you can do this, figure it out. Mm-hmm. And, and you can figure shit out. There are ways, places to go, ask some questions. But if you grew up in a, in a family, in a community that's constantly telling you, you really can't, that's not for you. Then to, to just expect that in your 20s, 30s, or 40s, somebody is going to go, you know, I think, I think this has all been a lie. I can do anything. No, it's that, that jump, that, that flipping that switch is so incredibly difficult. I mean, so when I, when I got my first call to Nebraska, because <laughs> I think this is kind of in the same vein. I got there very different. Grew up suburbs of D.C., Fairfax County, Virginia. Another wonderful affluent. Mm-hmm. <laughs> There's a thing to Lincoln, Nebraska, northeast Lincoln, Nebraska. And is it big enough to have quite? Yeah, sure. Northeast Lincoln, Nebraska, right? And and getting to know people there. Great experience. Wonderful church. Everything's good. But talking to people who, so you, so why Lincoln? Well, it's just home. I'm like okay, that that's fine. But shouldn't you at least be curious? What's like? in other states oh no 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 no! i've never been out of nebraska why and it was interesting for me to talk to people and say to see a good a good segment was i'm afraid to leave town this is home i'm not leaving and going why don't you just come with me and like let's just show you around the place america (laughs) and if you decide after seeing a few other places nope lincoln nebraska is the place for me more power to you but there was this fear and so that was interesting because I've never been – because Fairfax, Virginia, everybody came to Fairfax. Right. Nobody grew up there. Right. And so people took the move. I'm packing up. I'm going. And in the same way, like we're taking our confirmation kids. We take them on trips. Well, we we did it one year and we're going to try to do it this year. <laughs> but like to show them a part of the country they've never seen before, to have a good memory, make relationships, have fun, hey, good job being confirmed. And we're taking them to D.C. and Ocean City, Maryland. Right. To show them nothing wrong with Ankeny, nothing wrong with Iowa, nothing at all. Here's what else is out there. So if you choose to be like, that was kind of cool, you can go do it, but that you're choosing the life you have not out of fear, but out of this is what I want. And I think for people that live in the inner city to create systems where if you want to go live in Lincoln, Nebraska, you can go do it. (laughs) If you want to go to – and if you choose to come back home – that's great, but don't stay here because you're afraid to try something else, right? Now, or that you don't know what else is out there. And, and, and just, I think that's kind of along the lines with what you're saying. Yeah, like just just kind of you know remind get, get your your head back in there. It's really hard to convince that person from Lincoln, Nebraska, that the world is safe. Like you can get outside of Lincoln, and it's not so scary. I have. I right. have talked to so many people. I mean, my my wife at one point was a little bit in that in that ballpark of, of thought because I mean she just she knew what she knew she lived in the same house her entire life uh, actually no she moved one time when she was like two years old but it was one block over <laughs> and she could see her old house from her window <laughs> so <laughs> it was like she just and and if you grow up in, in a small town and constantly hear the evils of the big city and then somebody you just met steps in and goes no no big city's cool you should come with me <sighs> All I've ever heard. I'm going to die. I'm, I'm going to get right lost. Here. I'm going to. Yes. It's, it's a right. real thing. I mean, it, that barrier is 
So, so for for people who grew up the way I did, um, n- just being told over and over again, barriers are just barriers. You just got to figure out how to get over them. I I have very few things that I think I couldn't do that. So Tower of Babel, which really more about the city than the tower. The city's mentioned three times, the tower twice. Anyway, what is it that people? What what does God say? Nothing will be impossible for them. Yep. And I had a guy at my last church. He's the guy I think I mentioned before. Either he's half crazy or he's the wisest guy in the world right. and passed away, you know, Dick Weibel, great guy, always smoking a cigar. He'd leave his cigars on like the call box to get into the church. You'd know Dick was inside because there'd be a cigar. <laughs> so you can get it when he comes back out? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, great guy. Love it. Um, nasty, all chewed up. <laughs> yinzer, right? Complete yinzer. Yeah. Uh, so so he, he said, you know, for, for people, he's like, there is no barrier to what we can do. And that's blessing and curse. Yep. But we can, if we want to go to Mars, we'll go to Mars. It'll take us a little bit of time and money to figure it out. We'll get there. Mm-hmm. You want to create a human being with 16 arms? We can do, we'll give us some time and money. We'll get it done. And if you want to move outside of Lincoln, Nebraska. You can do it. It's going to be okay. Right. Well, we have this myth of safety. Safety is, is nothing but a, a thing in our head. Yeah. So for example, like, well, for example, our preschool. We have glass doors. And yet we have convinced because we're putting in cameras, your kid's going to be safe here. <laughs> Not from a gunman. <laughs> right? But we want to feel safe. We want yeah. to feel like I am safe here. I am safe. You're not safe. Lightning strikes your head. I mean, you know, we calculated risk. Yeah. When you look at there's what 16 million people living in New York, they're not all dead. <laughs> Somehow they figured it so out. So <laughs> it's not a. I mean, there's always risk. Yeah. But but that, that's a huge thing that I, I you know get people over. Don't make decisions from a position of fear. Because yep. you make bad decisions when you make decisions based on I'm scared. Yep. Our nation's reaction to 9/11. We got scared and made bad decisions. Patriot Act. Woohoo! Yay! Um, yeah. There's all kinds of there's all kinds of truth to that statement of. Don't act out of fear. That doesn't mean that you have to not be afraid in order to take a decision, make a decision. But I've actually found usually when I'm afraid, that's the direction I ought to be moving, um, because there is there is so much more risk in safety than there is in risk. If that makes sense, which it doesn't. Anyways, well, safety is a myth. Yeah, yeah. It's I mean, it's riskier to stay in in the in the land of the drought and then I'm afraid to go over to this other place where I hear there's food because I'm afraid of them. So I'm going to stay here and starve to death. If you think I'm going to punch you when I do, <laughs> it hurts a lot less than if you don't see it coming. Right? You've never thrown a real punch. I haven't. <laughs> You're such a softy. <laughs> no need to. Um, Join us next week as Luke and Duncan throw down. I could teach you how to throw a good punch. Yeah. It's yeah. So I, I mean, I, I think that's kind of where I land on this whole um, childish Gambino. This is America video is I, whatever you feel about the premise. And there's so many layers of so many interesting things. Guys like us need to pay attention that that this feeling because it's obviously resonating. Seventy five million views in five days in five days like your podcast. Exactly. Totally like my podcast. I mean I can so relate to this. It was so weird that you hadn't seen this or heard about it. I was like it's the only thing that my world is revolving around for like the last Not five days. 
not Nagdi. I, I bet I've watched it. And there's really – there's cool stuff too. There's there's one part where a guy rides past on a white He's horse. A horse, yeah. And it's like echoes of revelation. Um, there's so, so, so much depth even to the lyrics. Uh, but I, I think that that conflict of we are all sort of – I don't know, baited into this feeling that we should just think everything is okay. And then occasionally, I mean, occasionally a cop shoots a black guy and there's some riots, but for the most part, the African American community is doing fine. Right. Otherwise I'd see more videos like that. (laughs) (laughs) So it's a bit of a wake up call. I know. And it was, it should be more of a wake up call for the country to say this and, and, Circling way back to our earlier discussion, things don't evolve. <laughs> they just – they don't. And be, if you think that evolution comes from just this magical sort of force where fish turns into bird because that happens. Things get better if you just sit around and wait. Things change, but they're not necessarily always moving in the direction of it's getting better. I, I would say they never do. They, well, I think we're on a downward – yeah, history history arcs downward. Absolutely. And the only thing – I think the biblical, biblical teaching is it's getting worse, not better. Yeah, and the only thing – As the kingdom of God breaks in. Right. Which is weird. It's kind of both and. Which is good. But the, the only thing that curbs the all of that is is an active effort on our part. To do what? Well, that's, that's a question that um, ought to be a, examined in a million different ways. But the, but the point is – for for white America, white America, I love me some Eminem. <laughs> um, <laughs> if you say "rise up," <laughs> rise up. No, we need as as white America to to actually get our heads around this this idea that it's not going to just get better because you know we ended slavery and then we had the civil rights. So now, like you guys, just kind of figure shit out. Like it's, it is always going to take. We acknowledge that you're people. What, what else do you want? (laughs) Really? I mean, you're asking a lot. But also to say that the answer is not reparations. The answer is not, we give up our freedom to throw more money into the inner city. Those are not, I'm going to argue the solution will not be political because the politicians have no incentive to make things better. Well, that's, and that's where, I mean, we only sort of disagree. I, I think it is giving up freedom, but I think it's a voluntary thing. Because it's it's well, then you're not giving it up, surrendering. You're not surrendering. Surrendering freedom. and giving up so different concepts. <laughs> yeah, it's you're just not forced. You, you, we're right. not. We're not. I don't think the government can say, "All right, I'm going to take your money and I'm going to do something as government with it to address the issues of the inner city." Because again, the solution will not be political. Yeah, this is this is where we're always on the same page of the government just screw shit up, man. It just doesn't. Doesn't make things better. It doesn't. No, it wasn't designed to. We, which is why we have to voluntarily give of ourselves. We have to choose to yes. sacrifice. Yes, we have to decide. I'm taking responsibility to address an issue. It's not my fault. I, I wasn't. I wasn't there at slavery. I wasn't there at the civil rights. Well, I think Jesus asked the question, "Who is my neighbor?" Oh, wait. The disciples asked Jesus, "Who is my neighbor?" Mm-hmm. And Jesus tells a story about people who aren't the same mm-hmm. culturally. And the guy who volunteers is, is the guy who is the problem. Wait. Think about it. The good Samaritan. I don't mean for reals is the problem. I mean they didn't like Samaritans. They didn't like him. 
Right. So it's a problem that a Samaritan helps the guy. Voluntarily. Chooses to do so. Didn't didn't kick the shit out of him. Those were the robbers and the thieves, but chose to take responsibility for the guy. Wasn't the priest or the Levite. Right. Because they... It was, the, rightly, it was the guy from the other side of town. Yeah, and they right, the they rightly said, "I didn't, tracks. I didn't beat him up. This isn't my problem. I have to go to the temple. I, I have to be good. I'm right. being good." Writing an injustice. This, so, yeah. If, if anything else, you can take this video as sort of a call to action. It, it, it at least should highlight for us. I need to get involved. This this culture has, this people group has suffered for a long time. And I can't pretend like everything is fine. Because, you know, the 60s. Wee. You're not three-fifths of a person anymore. What else do you want? Yeah. Right? I mean, but again, all those things are civil rights movement and all that is is a government solution kind of thing. Yeah. And what we're saying is, no, 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 no. This is not about government programs or whatever. This is about you. Right. This is about you saying, my neighbor, my neighbor needs me. Right. The whole three-fifths of person thing is, is this weird. Do you have to leave, by the way? I don't want to... No, we got her early. Really early. What time is it? It's quarter to nine. Didn't oh. you have a nine o'clock? I changed it to ten. Oh, sweet. All right, we got this time. So the, I like to dispel myths sometimes, and the, the three-quarters or three-fifths, three-fifths, really, of a person thing, that always kind of gets bandied about as this horribly racist thing. It's an interesting phenomenon in our history because that that the slaves were considered or black people were considered three-fifths of a person was a useful thing for the north which was anti-slavery because it it determined how many seats they had in congress it's an interesting so if if the the plantation owners were able to count all of the people that that were living there that were owned by them as people for the for for having more seats and more votes then the south would have been able to continue to advance a very racist slavey agenda <laughs> and the north was the one that kind of pushed that says well that's not really fair because you're not going to represent them in a way that <laughs> is all. good for them. Yeah, you know, like, yes, yeah, so, see I represent all of these slaves that I have and um they're, it's, they're happy. It's in their best interest to stay <laughs> slaves. Like, right. no, it really super is not <laughs> in their best interest. So it's it's kind of one of those backwards things that But again, that's government dealing with the issue. Right. And so again, don't look to them for solutions. Right, because the solution This is about you individual, not about, not about. Yeah, this is about you. Yeah, isn't it great that the solution to that problem was well? Let's just not count them as fully people. Uh, makes sense. Something we can all agree on. Uh, how about we let them vote? Wouldn't that be great? <laughs> if you're gonna count them as people, Jeez. maybe you should let. Them. <laughs> yeah, no, you think? No, they're not like voting people. What do you think about only landowners being able to vote? Um. I don't like that because I'm not I'm not convinced that home ownership or land ownership is really going to be a future for us. Ooh, I really believe that more and more. I think I think home ownership had a very useful time and it's going away. Compound? Well, I I think that um there will be a handful of people who own everything 
and everyone else will rent that stuff. And there's there's pros and cons to it. I'm, I'm not pitching it as the best idea out there. I'm the saying, overlord thing kind of sounds ominous. A, a bit, but overlord is, is a bit of an overstatement. I mean, it's it's the one who owns everything is going to be stupid, wealthy, and rich. But the ones who are renting everything, if that rent is reasonable, all of that, you have a much fewer problems. But the idea that um, – because it used to be um, you buy a starter house, right? And then you fix that up. The uh, property um, values go up a little bit. You sell your starter house and you just kind of walk up the ladder to you get – the house that, that's too big that you downsize from <laughs> that eventually you sell and go into a retirement home. But it was, it was, it was kind of a strategy of home ownership was a strategy of wealth. And we have seen giant fluctuations in property value. We've seen people lose money in the deal. Um, we see people postponing home ownership until a time where, cause it's not feasible to own early as it used to be. I mean, cause you're, just out of college, which is, you know, you're now Because we're bad with money and, and financial decisions. Well, and, and so you come out of college and you already owe a ton of because student you're loans. Bad with, yeah. Well, it's, it is you're bad with money, but the system got skewed too at one point. Um, sure. Because it used to be. I, because I, I want, I want five-star, I want a five-star college. Even, nah, see. Yeah. The, 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 I want a great football team. I want a great gym. I want the latest of everything, and I want a private dorm room with a built-in kitchen chef in the basement. But it's it's hard to find. And I have to pay for that. But it's hard to find a reasonably priced, accredited college. Because everybody wants the five-star version. See, I don't think that. Because it's competitive. Well, absolutely. Well, I don't, absolutely. Well, I don't agree that – I don't disagree that that's an issue. I don't think that that's the root issue. I think the root issue is – the student loans are too easy to get. Yes, and the the concept of student loans right. is relatively new. Yes, for the longest time, there just wasn't a thing called student loans. And I mean, the, the one guy I visit in the, the nursing home all the time, great guy. It was talking to him, and I think I've said this on the podcast before. He said that he could pay for college with a decent job over the summer and have money left over. Mm-hmm. Back when he went to school, and I think he went to Iowa. Um, I think room and board plus tuition was like 850 bucks a year. Mm-hmm. And I'm, this is a long time ago because he's an old guy. So I was like, is that a ton of money? He goes, well, if you got a good job, you could probably make about $1,500 a summer. Now, like a basic cost to go to a, a relatively basic university is going to run you twenty grand. Now, as a college student, can you find a job to make twenty grand? And that's yes, that is super but. basic. Yeah, right, right. That kind of job. It can also get you in a different institute. But yeah, there's no way you, you can't work a summer anymore. And but if pay you think for about college. what is what is college, it's a PhD in the front of the room. Yeah. That's that's college. Boil it down. That's not expensive. I think a PhD in the front of the room. Right, well, no, people are making a shit ton of money. But there's all these extras that come along with it because that's what I want when I go to college, to be competitive. So I have to include all the extras in my school or you're going to go to the other school that has the five-star whatever. And that's driving up cost. The ease with which people will loan you money to go to school drives up cost. Again, government involvement, yeah. taking over the student loan business, right? Mm-hmm. Um, Getting a degree should not be expensive because of what it really is. It's 120 credits of a PhD. It's 40 classes where there's a guy, a nerd up front. 
and you're learning, you're reading books and you're learning stuff. Uh huh. That shouldn't be expensive. And and this is where I get almost conspiracy theorist, but it's it's not conspiracy because so it's modern slavery. Get it circling well, back around. Well, it's it's. The conspiracy conspiracy theories are always stupid and wonky because, like, you have you have to make up where money goes. And you, you have to, like flat earthers again. I, I brought this up before on the podcast. I love the flat earther theory because it is so stupid that because um, I always keep looking for who benefits if we're all being lied to that the Earth is round. Like, how does that make somebody richer? How, how does that gain a whole bunch of people? Because everybody's in on it, <laughs> right? And that's, that's all you get is well, they're all in on it, all of them. Okay, so but but how do they make money <laughs> telling me the Earth is round? Like I didn't give them money. To, the Earth is round. Let me get out. My, yes. yeah. Oh, it's round. Well, here's, here's twenty, 20 bucks. bucks. Yeah. <laughs> what the fuck? I don't get it. But but in the in the student loan university thing, it does make sense. So do you need a college degree to do? Three quarters of the jobs that are out there today. You need three months of on-the-job training. Correct. But there is – here's where the conspiracy – and I don't think it's an act. So the, so the corporations say you need this degree to work for us knowing it's going to put you in debt, which means you need this job. Well, and the universities convince corporations and wanna, other places that they it is far better because our people come out with – They this learned de- how to think. Yeah, the degree, the experience, the blah, blah, blah. And so now it becomes, well, to fill out this you know job description, I'm going to put in there as a requirement, well, you've got to have a four-year degree from an accredited school. I've always thought if oh. I'm starting a business – Whatever the whatever my competitor says you need, if they require a bachelor's, I'll go with a high school diploma. My competitors require a master's, I'll require a bachelor's. Yep. And I'll train you and you will not leave because you're you can't work for anybody else. Oh that's yeah. So I would I would go <laughs> that route. servitude. <laughs> Voluntary. Right. You're choosing to work for me knowing that no one else would view you as, as competent in the field, but you're top of your class, you're really good, you're dedicated, you're motivated. I don't care if you didn't go to school for another two years. Yeah, absolutely. And and all we've done is is develop and encourage and foster a system that makes some people crazy rich at the debt burden of the workforce. So here's the problem with with the, the four year liberal arts education was never meant. It's being used today as white collar trade school. Mm-hmm. It's the wrong tool for the job. Four year liberal arts education was never meant to be white collar trade school. Yeah, it was meant to be a place where the bourgeois, right? They would send their kids to be to become learned, mm-hmm. right? To get that to be a Swiss Army knife of information and experience and knowledge to advance culture and society, right? Not so you could program computers, right? We're using the wrong tool for the job, and the first person to come out with the better tool. I mean, I would, would you? Let's say you were investing, right? Would you invest in the traditional four-year college model right now? No, no, it's going away. I think so. It's going to go away. You hit a tipping point. Someone else invents a better – well, Google with the democratization of information. Mm-hmm. The one thing college could give you, information, I would argue that you're not really – there's a benefit to learning it versus being able to look it up. Yep. Um, but for most people, I can look it up as, as good as I learned it. Yep. And the – so it's, it's kind of like if you go back to the, the, the old adage of the buggy whip – the the buggy whip industry was flourishing as cars were coming out 
And all they would do is they would point and laugh and be like, those horseless carriages, they can't even go anywhere because there's no roads. Oh, those horses, such a fad. It's never going to work. Those horseless carriages. and We've always had horses. Yeah, look at how great this is. It's reliable. dependent. And that, so it, that was flourishing right up until that tipping point, and they were making a ton of money, and then boom, it crashes. And I, I'm convinced that's the industry of education is going to collapse. It's not as if everybody's always been going to college. This is a new thing. Yeah. Yeah. And, and it's it, a thing that's going to go away because we can absolutely. In the same way that every six-year-old works 18 hours in a factory. That lasted. <laughs> well, no, that yeah. was a thing. It lasted for a while and now it's not around anymore. Mm-hmm. College. Is going it, to go Its away. current form is going to go away. Yeah. And uh, we're starting to see the, the early horseless carriages in some of these vocational schools. Um, I know my kids in the Waukee district, they have this weird thing. I don't fully understand it yet, but they're, they, they've got this system where they, they learn some science and, and technology and education stuff, and then they can choose to go to a trade school. Just, just cool stuff like that is already happening. Um, online degrees used to be the joke. I mean, that's the, that's the buggy oh, yeah, way of going, yeah. yeah, online degree. Woo, what do you do? Fill out some paperwork online yes. and then you get a degree? Yeah, it is. But now it's like a school where people go at like online and they learn the same things at a fraction of the cost. And now people are hiring Now for people. white collar trade school, that's fine. Mm-hmm. But for I want to learn, I would argue online school is terrible. For actual learning. I don't disagree. Um, so I think a four-year college will stick around. There's going to be – like I would want my kids to get a liberal arts education because I want you to learn how to think. I want you to learn. Yeah. I don't want you to look stuff up and regurgitate on a paper. I want you to learn. Yeah, I don't – If I have the money to send you there. Right. I, I don't know that – It's a luxury. Well, so but I'm not, I'm not doing that to get you your job. I'm doing that for you as a person. Right. Well, and, you can still buy a buggy whip. Right. But it's a very limited Then you're the market. weird guy that's walking around. <laughs> then you're the white guy on the horse in the, in the video. Yeah, I'm sure you don't fit in. But yeah. I, no, I, I just don't see – I don't see the current – I also don't see K through 12 government school surviving another couple of generations. Interesting. Where is all goes private? Um, all there has to be. So, so in order for the current model to be sustained with the, the unions – and the government and the standards and the testing, learning for the test, all that has to be one time is vouchers, federally, yeah. vouchers. The voucher people only have to win once because once people get a taste of vouchers, they're not going back. And so are the odds that the voucher people are going to get in power and do vouchers at a federal level, a state level, or a local level – at any point in the next 40 years, I think it's pretty good odds. Yeah. Because the minute you give me $6,000 or $9,000, heck, I take half of what – I mean at the end of the day, give me half of what my kids are going to cost you in the public system to go private. Everyone's going to take that option. And you want to talk about getting people out of the ghetto. Vouchers, vouchers, vouchers. Well, and that, see, that's where I don't know that logistically that works out. OK, so it's cool. The schools move in. The Lutheran schools move in. You know, that's, that is not a bad thought, um, except for now, now that I've got, now that I've got this loaded gun of a voucher, do I want to send my kid? I, so I know you're building this great school in, in the inner city, but as a suburban guy, let's well, build not, one out here. 
because I don't want my kid to go to school. But, now, but, now, but now the inner city people are on equal par with the suburban people. They each have their $6,000 voucher. Right. And I can just make a commercial case for inner city. Because here, here's the thing that I've noticed. School is seven hours a day. It's a waste of time. It is way too long. I mean, so the advantage to private school, homeschool, get government out of school is I don't want my kid being in school all day and then homework and sports. I want his all of his school and his activities and his sports and his homework wrapped up by 3 o'clock. Yeah. 8 to 3 and everything is done. Mm-hmm. So Waukee does this and it has been awesome for our family. And so one, one of the other little bits of research that's out there is homework tends to be uh, like one of the worst ideas out there because oh, it's terrible. Number number one, it's because it, it's dumb. Because I didn't like it. Yeah, and it and it stunts the social growth of your kids because instead of doing things that are t- to balance their, their they're nerding it up. Yeah, it's instead right, of balancing yeah. their their maturity progress in other ways, um, you stunt that because all they're doing is the academic stuff. Two, um, it is actually um, biased against families that are structured differently. So single mom who has to work late can't help her kid with homework. Kid doesn't get the homework done right. Kid gets a worse grade. Now that kid's you know behind, always always behind the eight ball growing up. So our kids rarely, my, Isaac has a little bit of homework now at 14, and that's about it. Our kids work harder than we do. Oh, yeah. I mean, when you look at like, con- like my confirmation class, they, they, they rolled into school around the time I run eight o'clock, right? They have their full day. They come to confirmation. They're going to leave confirmation and go home and do, well, they may have to do sports. Then they have to do homework. They're not done till nine. When confirmation ends at five 30, I'm out, I'm done. I'm home, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, and, and they're 12, 13. Mm-hmm. I, we make, we, we have, we have adulterized uh, wait, <laughs> right. I don't think that's the direction we, you want to go. No, <laughs> you've committed adultery with your confirmation kids. <laughs> we've invaded, we've invaded the world of kids and made their world look more like ours. Instead, for example, my big example of this, I don't know where this is going, but pick up basketball. Yeah. Pick up basketball taught you everything you need to know about life. Yeah. Because I'm going to roll into the court. I don't want to get picked last. I also don't I mean, maybe I want to get picked first, but then I'm the kid. Everyone's trying to. So I got to figure out how, even if I'm not very good, I need to play the social game to not get picked last. Right. Then when I'm playing the game, am I the kid that's always calling fouls? Because right. foul, foul, no one likes that kid. But then if I don't call fouls ever, then everyone's going to hack a shack me every time I get the ball because he's not going to call a foul. Right. You have to play that social game combined with you need some form of athleticism. Conflict it, it resolution. Teaches you, it teaches you everything. So what do we do? We're going to have a rec league basketball where there's an official to make everything okay. Mm-hmm. Everybody's on a team. We don't know who gets picked first and last. It's all We're all on a team, and we're not going to keep score. Yep. We've taken something that can teach kids everything they need to know about life, and we've, and we've made it ha- like appeal to us. Right. What do kids learn from playing rec league basketball? Not much. Well, and not as much as they could. It speaks to the the fact that one of the things that I, I feel like in the younger generation, millennials and and just culture in general, is that we're now struggling with how to deal with that. This this is where social justice warriors step in. This this is where all of that that bullshit starts to happen because because people feel like somebody should be calling a foul. 
Why, why isn't somebody officiating? I'm offended. Somebody do something. <laughs> yeah. I'm offended. <laughs> Where's the official on Facebook? And and it's not there. Well, we're looking to add it. And I don't want to add it. So it's bad. bad. <laughs> it really, so um, Facebook had that glitch last week where it was like report this as offensive or something. <laughs> and people were – I was one of them. I just <laughs> – I'm Mark. And I'm offended. offended. I was offended by everything, and it was great. (laughs) I was like, how do you not think people are even – even people who don't intend to abuse it like me, it's going to be abused? Because if you say something like, man, I I love the Cleveland Cavaliers, I'm offended. Like (laughs) – what is good wrong? To, good to know. So what? Yeah. What is wrong with Facebook? Why did they think that that would work? The Good offensive ones. Yeah. If, if this is offensive content, of course, everything is offensive content to somebody. Stupid. But yeah, that we're looking to, we were that generation and, and we were a little bit uh, on those same lines of somebody was always officiating. Somebody was always calling fouls. Somebody was always stepping in when when somebody yelled at somebody else mom or dad helicoptered over you know stepped in fixed the problem and now we're on facebook and nobody is telling that guy that he can't say that word deal with it you gotta deal with it you gonna call the foul they don't know how to deal with it because they've always had the referee yeah it's weird they they had to they should have played pickup ball yeah and now it's become so in in the absence of there being this hovering parent who always is calling the foul people are just taking it upon themselves i'm gonna call the foul and i'm gonna call every freaking one because <laughs> they don't know what a foul is they don't know what an offense is anymore everything is offensive i promised myself if i ever teach college level one of the things that gets on the syllabus is if i ever see or talk to your parent you will fail <laughs> if your mom emails me you fail <laughs> If I, get exactly. a text if I hear or see your parents, <laughs> you will fail my class because you're not ready. You're not. This is a class for adults. Yeah. And you just showed me you're not an adult. Mommy's going to – no. You're not ready. Because it's back to our conversation over gender because they're little boys and girls. They're not men and women. <laughs> it's true. But yeah. No, I, I think that um, – one of our – we talked about this a little bit before we even started the podcast, the whole virtue signaling I, and I call it the – I don't um, know what that means. <laughs> it's, it, is, it is the um, – or the, I call it the Outrage Olympics um, where everybody's competing to be the most outraged and the way you do that is by kind of um, signaling to other people how virtuous you really are. So I am more virtuous when like cultural appropriation is, is a great one. Um, because I, get, I can get more easily offended than you. Yes. Therefore, I am more virtuous than you because I have identified right how holy evils. and pure I am. Because even this tiny little issue, because that speck of sawdust, oh, it oh, made me so sad, angry. Yeah. And oh my gosh, that person is so virtuous because he found fault. So the the girl because who we a, no lo- because fun is no longer a virtue in our culture. Well, it's it is being um, entertained is, but not having fun. That's a discussion for another day. Well, I think people are are having fun being offended. They're entertaining themselves. Yeah. It's not fun to be inter- – fun is fun. <laughs> fun is very being subjective. A, we have changed virtue. The virtue used to yeah. be fun. Now the virtue is being entertained. And we've replaced love with attention. So, hey, everybody, I'm offended. Right. That gets me attention. 
see, I think it all it all boils down to a, a biochemical reality where we figure out those things that give us I, the little dopamine shot. Yeah. And the the dopamine shot of I am so outraged and offended and and people now in your and it's oftentimes made up. Like in your head, you're thinking people are going, "Wow, he Poor is so guy. good." good. And lovely and wonderful and he's offended and I feel for him. You get this little shot of dopamine that's like, oh, I'm such a good person. Where it used to be just, you know, play video games, have fun. And you get dopamine. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's all about the the our, our emotional experience is all about the pursuit of dopamine. That's all it is. It's so very simple. Yeah. And wiring your brain to deliver dopamine in healthy ways isn't complicated it's the goal. But what we do is we just hope that it happens. I got to feel it. Yeah. Like I get – you work out, you get a dopamine shot after you lift every single time. It's a great feeling. But you have to actually get off your ass and go to the gym. Yeah, wanna, there's got to be an easier way. I don't want to do it's that. just going to go online and tell people that I'm offended <laughs> that somebody wore a dress to prom that looks like <laughs> oh, a Chinese geez. dress and so offended by that. Which, the same week that that happened, by the way, a girl who loves that culture bought a dress that is beautiful, but she's white, so it's obviously wrong, but a beautiful dress. Classy, yeah. And and she wears it. My culture is not your fashion. Okay, the same week as the gala or the the Met Gala thingy. Oh, oh, that's, that's a whole other episode. Holy shit. I was like, wait, 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 wait. That's a whole other episode. That is literally. The Catholic Church gave them the stuff, right? From what I've been reading. No. The Catholic Church gives <laughs> Met Gala people the Catholic attire to wear thinking this is going to end well. <laughs> they were not paying attention. Everybody's a moron. Everybody's a moron. So, of course, you're going to get the the assless chaps clerical, right? right. I mean, you're going to get the the – the wicked priestess thing. I mean, Catholic church, <laughs> the culture hates you. Have you not been you paying want attention? To, you are pro-life. They hate you. They want to mock you. <laughs> you promote things like chastity, like reverence, like humility, stuff that the Met Gala culture despises. Right. And you give them your clothes. This will not end well. You gave them the uniforms. You gave them the uniform. But, but again, the, the culture goes crazy because my culture is not your fashion, meaning you wore the wrong dress because it's Chinese and you're not. And then the same week, a bunch of people wear Catholic stuff mocking. as fashion, purposefully mocking. Whereas the girl wore the Chinese thing because it looks good on me and I like the dress. Yeah. Right. What happened? <laughs> like, how is this because, not Because outrage? that doesn't offend me because I hate Catholics. Right. Because they're pro-life. Right. Selective so, outrage. Yeah. Yeah, it's, well, Joe Rogan, my hero, uh, calls it recreational outrage. I call it the Outrage Olympics. It's, it's, it's again, that fun dopamine shot. And nobody's going to get a dopamine shot for saying, hey, I think that was rude to the Catholic Church. Like, the dopamine comes when you're like, yeah, screw those guys. Bunch of... <laughs> Child molesting morons. But you know what's funny Speaking is... Speaking of child molesting morons, <laughs> but, who do you have on next week? <laughs> my, so my favorite thought that I had of the Met Gala, I've, I've got to finish on this, is Rihanna wore 
a, yeah. like a Pope miter. Yeah. Rihanna wore a Pope miter. So now the you Catholic- got the keys. <laughs> so, Shut up and drive. So, so the church gets that back. How long? How do you clean it? Uh, no, no. How long until he gets his powers back? Somebody is like, I want the Rihanna miter. <laughs> <laughs> like, what pope eventually takes the name Pius Rihanna? <laughs> And is like, dude, this this miter is dope. <laughs> when I was a kid, my hero Rihanna wore it to this thing, and now I'm the Pope, and I get to wear it. Like it's gonna happen at some point. All of those those articles that the that the church lent and got back now becomes the thing that so and so wore. It, now it's a commodity to be vied over. I, I do you think the current wait. Holy Father is trying to destroy the church? I wonder sometimes. He's um, weird. He is weird, but some of the weirdness has been overplayed. Like the whole thing where he said the, the there's no hell. Yeah, that's not real. He didn't say that. Uh, the guy said that he said it. Yes, the guy who has misrepresented His big atheist him, friend who has misrepresented him. Who he keeps talking to, uh huh, and doesn't take notes or record conversations. Said he said it, and I go, come on. And he, and he said he said it right before Easter. Well, of course. <laughs> that is that is just... Right around the same time we discussed the, the Shroud of Turin and the... Yes, it's always the next... Did Jesus really rise from the dead? All uh, the theories. Every yeah. single... I, I tell my congregation yeah. every year... Just turn your TV off. Something's going to come up. Like my favorite was two years ago. Um, they believe they found right. the actual tomb of Jesus. The ossuary. Yeah, and they they sure. didn't want to disappoint all you Christians. You guess but it's empty. It was, yeah. Unfortunately, we didn't find his bones there, so we, now we know he's not real. Like, no, that's not the story. Or <laughs> the, the story is, of course, he's not there. Or <laughs> no, we would have been upset if you found the bones, and then we would have been like, damn. <laughs> we would have been like, these aren't Jesus' bones, right? But that that would have been a conflict. But that they weren't there, and you're like, oh, sorry, Christians, no bones means no Jesus. Like, you just haven't even read the story, have you? Like, you haven't even done the minor bit of work on what Easter is. Freaking idiots. Anyways. Speaking of that, we should probably – we're – whoa. We didn't, we didn't get into talking about our circuit pastors thing. Circuit pastors. What do you want to talk about? I, a lot of things. <laughs> Uh, but that, that'll have to wait. It'll have to wait for another day. Yeah. We should get circuit pastors on here. Good brothers. Some good brothers, some good brothers in the. Yeah. It's, it's like anything. It's, it's a hangover from a time when that was more useful and we're just not doing it anymore in a useful way. I mean, not, not to get into it, but like. It felt to me like because I, I missed the last three because it was Lent and then Holy Week and all that stuff, whatever. Going through the motions. Yeah, that group has has struggled. The good guys, good yeah. guys, looking for. Let's actually do something when we come together. Yeah, uh, we don't we don't have enough guys who they're all good guys, but we don't have enough oomph to actually get us over the hump to say. Let's, let's let's be real. Press something. Let's figure something out. Let's struggle with something. Um, and a lot of that. Why I, don't you push for the dissolution of synod? Well, <laughs> <laughs> that's kind of your thing. <laughs> How is You're that developing my thing? a reputation. <laughs> that is not my thing. I didn't record the conversation, but I, Luke said 
<laughs> yeah, my atheist friend Duncan says I said. All right, yeah, we're two two fifteen in. We probably ought to go ahead and cut this thing down. Cut it off. Be done with it. All right, thanks for coming in, Duncan. Appreciate it. Now that we've solved all the racial issues in America, we can be done. We'll talk to you next time. There you have it, folks. Hope you enjoyed that episode. Um, yeah, big thanks to Duncan for being able to fill in last minute. I'm trying to get a guy in, um, great guy that is uh, actually brother of a member of our church who does prison ministry. I want to. There's a lot of things I want to ask him about, but uh, wasn't able to do it this week. And Duncan, being the hero, the gentleman, the scholar that he is, on short notice was willing to jump in and hang out. So big thanks to him. Um, hopefully we'll get that guy on the podcast next week um, to talk prison ministry. But no matter what, we'll talk about all the things. And uh, if you want to follow me or ask me questions or um, give me a topic, that would be great. So you can follow me on all, well, you can email me at all the things with Luke Tim at gmail.com. Follow me on Twitter at Luke underscore Tim or Instagram Luke underscore Tim or just find me on Facebook. Uh, I'm the guy whose name is Luke Tim on Facebook too. So thanks for hanging out, guys, um, boys and girls. It was a lot of fun. Till next time, be good. Be good.